Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Chelsea, keeping you up to date on the latest news from Stamford Bridge. Match recaps, previews, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com. It's the London is Blue podcast. Here's your hosts, Brandon, Dan, and Nick. And we're back at it again, Chelsea fans, here to hang out with you for another hour of podcasting magic with us, your friends, Brandon, Dan, and Nick, as Corey on the intro said. But guys, we have to review right away. Dan, how are you feeling after your 147th birthday on Wednesday? (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) Nick's joke from last episode, carry forward. Uh, No, it was great. It was quite excellent. Um, 147 feels amazing. Yeah, yep. really, really, really good spot to be in, and uh, you know, good, good, good times. You know, especially as it bleeded into Thanksgiving. So there was a uh, pie, there were stuffing, mm. there was turkey, uh, whiskey, Nick, which I know you're a fan of. I've never had a drop in my life, Dan. I don't know why you'd insinuate yeah, such a thing. Yeah, if you look at your Instagram story, bother <laughs> Booker, Booker's that magically disappeared. Mm, I think I think that evidence is shaky at best, but sure, carry on. Well, let's go ahead and bring in our guest in case you didn't see it on social media. Uh, we brought back Liam Toomey uh, from ESPN FC's Chelsea correspondent. Liam, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be back. 
it's a little more exciting now that we finally got to meet when we we're back in London, uh, hung out uh, in person and, and got to uh, get some FaceTime. So it was nice that we got to meet so many of our guests. Uh, it just now I think it's a little bit more conversational, you know, in this situation <laughs> for you. Yeah, it's good. No, but it was a, it was a very good evening when you guys came over and um, yeah, was a, there were a lot of people actually in and around the the Chelsea community that I hadn't met either. Obviously, I know all the other journalists, but other people around around the club, yeah, know, influential fans and stuff. So yeah, it's good good to talk to everyone, and and everyone's got their own unique perspective. Oh, it's it's good. And like I said, we're all about just building the Chelsea community. That is what we're here for. Uh, speaking of the community, Dan, the iTunes review community just will not stop. Fantastic effort. Yeah, five star train keeps on rolling. Uh, unlike Thomas Cook. And, you know, Ooh. we got to see a couple <laughs> uh, James Harden book, Nate, uh, a bookie, uh, Nate Silver, uh, probably not the Nate Silver, are to the first number. And then Young Holla with a couple uh, caps and lowercase letters. So uh, a nice little flair there. I'll drop in some five-star reviews on iTunes. And uh, thank you for that. And we look forward to shouting out the next couple on uh, our next podcast who, who do the same. Huge shout out to Shane on Patreon who actually upgraded his pledge from $3, $3 to $5. So huge shout outs to you, Shane. And Nick, what does he need to remember to do? He needs to remember to uh, to send us uh, the name of the person in which he would like to uh, um, send a postcard from. So could be me, you know, with my terrible handwriting. It could be Dan. Um, maybe Dan will write a soliloquy. Or, or Brandon, what is your preferred writing style? Cursive. Ooh, man. So two terrible piece of handwriting. That's not good. Uh, anyway, Shane, thank you very much for your your increased donation. You are the man. All right. Well, let's kick this off with, uh, you know, the hard hitting question questions from Twitter from Philip Tran hitting us up and just says, are our title hopes over already? I mean, Liam, being the uh, the bipartisan journalist you are it, 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 looking at this table already. I mean, is it can we say it already? Just no one else is going to catch City is done for. Well, I mean, no, nothing's impossible. We've seen we've seen bigger leads overturned in Premier League history. But I mean, I actually wrote a piece back in October after the Chelsea lost to Crystal Palace, saying that according to the numbers, um, Chelsea's title defence was already over. And you know, they've they've done well in the five games since then. They've won four, drawn one, so they've they've bounced back. But it's it's not about Chelsea anymore, and it's not about any of the chasing pack. It's just about Manchester City. And we saw, you know, they were subjected to the the trademark tricky away Premier League experience against Huddersfield, and they still found a way to win. So, if they maintain this kind of historic standard in terms of points, in terms of goals and 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 keep their defense solid i mean no no one will be able to touch them and chelsea with their early early problems with injuries for maybe not quite as as hungry as they were last season as well um could prove to be just too much to make up but even a team like manchester united at the moment i think you can see jose Mourinho getting a little bit testy with with everyone because he knows just how difficult it will be to to catch Manchester City if they carry on at this rate. Nick, 
Man City are on pace for over uh, or 105 points, which no one's broken the triple digits. Chelsea were closest, 95. And they're on pace for like 120-some goals at this point. I mean, it, it, you, you would think that it's not sustainable. They are so deep in their roster. I, you know, and I think we, we've said this before. It, I think it is impossible in the Premier League to keep up this pace. Um, it's not to say that they won't have a record setting year or that, you know, those numbers are even that unattainable. But, you know, we're, we're entering into kind of the do or die period for a lot of teams in, in, the, in the festive period. Um, and I think that we looked at schedules last week and, you know, if if their injuries uh, come back to haunt them, th- things like that, there are factors that can slow them down. I'm not sure that we're going to be able to catch them necessarily, but I, you know, I don't want to I don't want to write it off just yet. What's the fun of that, Dan? If you take all hope away before Christmas, yeah, you always want a little hope at Christmas time. You know, whether it be from Santa Claus or from uh, you know a uh, you know Saint Pochettino to pull a few points off of City or you know whatever it might be. But uh, you know, there's a good uh, good thread on Reddit on the Chelsea subreddit where they talked about how City's actually only played three of the top six sides, where uh, Chelsea uh, have played against five, and so have Liverpool. So you know, it's just very interesting that you know City has had a little bit of a lighter fixture list so far so to speak we'll see how it goes obviously december's a busy time dan you highlighted that and uh i think the best news about us is even if potentially the premier league title is out of reach the good news is this season our entire season doesn't ride on it like last season because that's all we had we've got competitions galore right now but let's go ahead and roll into the match review with a shout out to world soccer shop our presenting sponsor just got to show them a little bit of love nick and that's because they are offering some great deals uh tomorrow well maybe you're listening to it today on cyber monday Yep, Cyber Monday sales will be uh, all across their website, not only on Chelsea gear, um, but on boots, on other gear that you can find as well. Maybe you're looking for a a national team kit for the World Cup coming up this summer, Um, but there's just going to be sales galore. So head on over to World Soccer Shop. Uh, If you're looking for Chelsea merch, Dan, there's a, a Chelsea sale page that could be of interest to you, right? Yeah, I, I, there's plenty of Chelsea gear, plenty of national team stuff. I know, Nick, you're probably looking at that Iceland jersey there for right. uh, World Cup 2018. Oh, man. Uh, yep. But head over to worldsoccershop.com for all the great Cyber Monday deals. All right, well, let's go ahead and dive right into it. The match review. It was Liverpool in the Premier League over at Anfield. It was this past Saturday, November 25th. Blues won. Reds won. No correct score predictions from anyone out there. So let's just head right into the lineup. Dan, three, five, one, one. Just a little control C, control V here. A little copy paste. Uh, yeah, uh, a little bit of that action there. We had Tebow between the sticks. Aspilicueta Christensen continues his run of form as the center of the back three pairing with Gary Cahill on the captain man on the left-hand side. Zappa Costa and Alonzo on the wings, fielding in between a little N'Golo Conte, Bakayoko, and then Danny Drinkwater with the first Premier League start for Chelsea. Marcus Alonso on the other side, and then on top we had Morata and Hazard giving the uh, you know the Liverpool defenders a little bit of a challenge there. Uh, Caballero on the bench with Rudiger, Luis, William, Fabregas, Moses, and Pedro, of which William. 
Fabregas and Pedro all had the chance to see a little bit of the pitch, which, uh, yeah, Nick, I, th- I thought it was a pretty uh, sensible lineup given the fact that Cesc has started uh, quite a bit of time uh, this season compared to last. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, interesting to see uh, Drinkwater step in for, for, you know, a really a big game uh, for Chelsea and, you know, really get to see him get his, uh, his sea legs back in the Premier League. Um, you know, interesting that Zappa Costa started again, even though Victor Moses had been uh, potentially able to to start uh, against Liverpool. So I think there was a little bit of gamesmanship from Conte, but uh, overall it kind of made sense when you looked at the full scope of the of the pitch. Liam, what were the rumblings in the press box when the lineups were announced? I'm sure a lot of it, the focus was on uh, Danny Drinkwater in the middle, but uh, what what kind of stood out to you guys or that, that caught you off guard maybe? Well, I think, yeah, Drinkwater was the big surprise. Um I, I actually felt a little bit sorry for for Daz Kinsella of goal because on on Friday in the press conference he was he was trying to to probe Conte on on Cesc Fabregas and and the role he's played for Chelsea this year because he'd started nearly every game and Conte seemed wary of of talking too much about Fabregas and then on on Saturday we found out why because he he decided to rest him from the start. Um, yeah, the drink water was the big surprise. His first. It was quite a big time for him to to make his first Premier League appearance at Anfield against, you know, probably along with Manchester City, the the highest intensity team in the league. And I think, you know, I think that factored hugely into into Conte's thinking. He wanted as many fresh mobile legs in that midfield area, particularly as possible, because he was he was wary of Chelsea being overrun in the manner that they were against City. Um, I think Drinkwater did did pretty well. The the other one that maybe surprised some people but didn't surprise me was Christensen back in in central defence. It seems clear to me at the moment that he is now Conte's first choice in the middle of that back three. Um, And David Luiz has to work pretty hard to get back in because as he he did at Anfield and, and as he's done every time he's played for Chelsea this season, Christensen didn't put a foot wrong in in a really intimidating atmosphere in a really high pressure situation. He he seems to have ice in his veins. He he makes the right decisions on and off the ball all the time. Um, but the the three five one one I expected that to be Chelsea's formation. Conte has has spoken about how it's given Chelsea a new balance in the last in the last few weeks. Um, but it did leave them a little bit isolated in the attacking third of the pitch at Anfield. There was a there was a lot of pressure on Hazard to basically create the entire attack himself. And for and for about 30, 35 minutes of the first half, he, he did it brilliantly. I thought he was actually doing a pretty good messy messy impersonation <laughs> for in terms of beating just beating any defenders he wanted and and bringing everyone into play. I, I thought Chelsea were were really good in the in the first half. They tailed off in the second, um, but the game was on a on a knife edge. And then it was it was Timo Bakayoko's mistake that let Salah in, and 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 Chelsea had to change things. But they reacted well. And the the best thing about not starting someone like Fabregas is that he's one of the best substitutes in in world football. And uh, I thought he came on and changed the game again. And they, they did deserve the equaliser, whether Willian meant it or not. But I mean, what, what did you guys think of, of Chelsea's performance in the end? 
Well, I think that, you, you know, you, you make a good point. I think the lineup makes sense going into this. Liverpool, man, they've got a motor on them. They um, they put us under a lot of pressure. You know, I think overall, we, we did see Sesk last season, right? I mean, he was the super sub come in in the last 25 minutes, score or assist two, three goals. I mean, it was it was impressive that we saw from him. So I'm not that surprised. But um, yeah, I mean, I think overall, this was a, a pretty evenly matched uh, you know, between the two sides, Dan, I don't know if anything else stood out to you. Just from the lineup perspective, I think the one thing that, you know, you saw some rotation from both, you know, Klopp and Conte is that, you know, Firmino, Mane were both not in the starting 11. So you had a chance to see Daniel Sturridge and then crazy enough, Alex Oxley Chamberlain gets a chance to, uh, to start that match. Um, versus a team that was uh, interested in his signature uh, not not more than a few months ago, so yeah, I think it was uh, you know kind of trying to go pound for pound a little bit with balancing the commitments of the Champions League of the Premier League and trying to find a way to win uh, even against a very tough opponent. So I think uh, let's roll into the goals. Nick, 65th minute, Chelsea struggle to clear the ball from inside their own box. Conveniently falls right into Salah, who was running in on goal and just was an easy slot home uh, from close range, Courtois in no man's land. It had to be Salah, right? I mean, it, there was no other way that the <laughs> Liverpool were going to score. Uh, yeah, I mean, this just continues the streak of former Chelsea players scoring against Chelsea. Um, this is just kind of what happens. And I think if you had a, uh, a bet, and I'm sure Mark Worrell did uh, of this game, that he might have picked uh, Mo Salah as the, as the scorer. Um, you know, Salah had a great game. Uh, he, he was tremendous, um, was very influential in the first half. But uh, you also can't give him an opportunity like this. You know, I think Chelsea's defense was resolute all match, except for a couple of moments here and there. You know, I don't think Liverpool had so many great chances on goal um but this was this was too easy and that's a mistake dan that you just cannot make you cannot uh be sloppy with the ball on the edge of your own box yeah i was waiting for official uh, fpl to denote that bakioko got credit for the assist i was really <laughs> looking forward to some of those bonus points there and uh, that was not the case it just it really was a you know kind of thing kind of a bit of a mental lapse and you know allowed Salah who was dangerous from the first minute he got on the pitch to you know the, the last to uh, to get just enough space to uh, to to pray and that uh, was quite unfortunate. Well, 85th minute, thankfully, the in-form William was able to rescue a point on the road with a delightful chip that was always meant to be a shot. So I don't think we need to discuss it anymore, Liam. I'm sure that's how you guys all wrote it as well, because that's what I <laughs> at iteddy4112 <laughs> says is he thinks it was a chip. But come on, we all know it's a shot from from the beginning. Well, if if he did mean it, it's one of the great Premier League goals. Um, it was it was it was fantastic. I mean, there was absolutely nothing on, and uh, and the one thing you know, the one piece of evidence you could you could suggest to point to the fact that it was a shot rather than a cross is that it would have been a really bad cross. It would have been really really <laughs> slow, really high, really easy for the goalkeeper to come and gather. So, I think the. It did have all the hallmarks of a chip, but at the same time, he didn't seem to really look at the goal before he did it. I, I tweeted afterwards that it was kind of a more, it looked like a more cultured version of, of a Zappa Costa. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm still not quite sure, but he's he's adamant that he 
he shot and uh i guess he's the I, only one that really knows i don't know if there's any way that he meant that to be honest <laughs> with you I, I i just cannot i'm obviously not that skillful so you know fair play to him if he really did but I think it was another poor cross and a series of poor crosses from the right hand side. Uh, they were, you know, I think just Chelsea's team in general were, you know, outside of a couple of, of cross into a box were, were terrible yesterday crossing the ball. Um, but Dan, you'll take them where you can get them, right? Yeah, I think even in the uh, the, the post match interview, they were asking Gary Cahill about if Williams' goal was you know a, a shot, and you know does it really matter? And I think his response was no, it doesn't doesn't. And so <laughs> uh, a goal is a goal, a, a draw is one point instead of uh, zero. So I will take uh, I'll take that all the time, and I'm sure uh, every other Chelsea fan will too. Exactly. More questions for Liverpool's goalkeeping situation. Uh, hopefully, we don't lose our Belgian stopper over a few quid a week if you know what I'm talking about uh, first question though uh, we got a couple of these talking about Conte's lineup choice and a lot of it was Sesk versus Drinkwater uh, Gibby underscore Zeff on Instagram and at M-E-H-M-S 17 Stephen Maymert on Twitter both of them Liam think that Sesk should start it over Drinkwater personally with the travel that we had beforehand and seeing the lineup today, it we all knew that Chelsea were going to line up with five in the back and look to break on the counter and hit Liverpool, especially because Liverpool have, as we saw in the last 20 minutes, not a very composed defense. So I guess, did you think that Conte with this lineup was going in for a draw specifically, or did you think it was overly negative? No, I, di- I didn't think uh, Conte went for a draw. I don't think he ever does that, actually. Um, be- purely by the fact that you know they they still had Hazard playing off Morata, and when they did have the ball, the fullbacks were pushing on very high. Um, so I, d- I did think it w- it was just a very cautious game plan that was very respectful of Liverpool's strengths. And I know we mentioned that Mane and Firmino were on the bench, but Conte couldn't know that ahead of time. I think that probably came as a surprise to him. Um, and he was expecting Liverpool's front line to be even more formidable than it, than it ultimately was in, in the starting 11. Um, I think his, his, his starting strategy was borne out by a pretty good first first half performance. I thought both teams' strategies worked quite well, and and as a result, the game was, you know, I, I thought it was on a tactical knife edge. It was all about one mistake either way would settle it, um, and as it turned out, Chelsea made the first mistake. But yeah, I do, I do think that that Conte broadly got it right. I think he needed drink water's energy over over Fabregas. The one thing that they do, you do lose when you don't have Fabregas in that midfield is his ability to to just turn and pick pick out a runner in behind a defence that's pushing up. Uh, and Chelsea had a little bit of problems actually staying on side, uh, which I'm sure will have frustrated Conte. But Fabregas is probably the best in the world at doing that consistently. And, and it makes Chelsea a very dangerous team on the back foot. But he is, a, he is also an excellent sub. And I think Chelsea have lost um, that, that same level of ability to come on and change games when you don't have Fabregas on the bench and you've instead got him maybe slightly fading in the, in the last 20, 30 minutes of a game when he's, when he started. So 
I didn't have any major problems with 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 Conte's lineup. I thought his subs were good. He has in the past um, had a problem with waiting too long to make substitutions, and I thought he made them probably not as quickly as as he should have done. I think he should have. I think he should have brought um, Fabregas and Pedro on as soon as Salah's shot hit the back of the net. But I agree he, with that. He, he, he still did it. He still did it quickly enough to salvage the game, and, and Chelsea might still have been able to find a winner. So I, I thought this was a, a decent big game performance from Conte. I, I honestly just to piggyback off that, Liam. I think the the thing I was losing my mind over um, was you, know, you look at, and we'll, we'll probably get into Bakayoko a little bit um, later on. But you looked at Bakayoko, who was gassed. You look at. Uh, Drinkwater, who I think had a pretty decent match overall, uh, but just, you know, I think, like you said, was not going to be able to find that magic pass to unlock um, our attack. So I think overall, like the substitutions need to come in the 60th minute. And, you know, knowing that Sask was on the bench, you know, knowing that Pedro, William, you know, all these different options were on the bench and that William had even played a little bit more centrally against um, against Carabag. Uh, you know, I think there were options to inject a, a little bit of energy because I think right around the the solid goal, you know, you could see our our squad kind of had some dead legs. So, uh, you know, that would be my my. I think Conte did get it a, a bit wrong there. To be honest with you, I tweeted that from the account um, from our Twitter account. I think those the subs did not come quick enough, uh, and I think when you give Sesk, you know, essentially twenty odd minutes, it, you know, the opportunities for him to create anything. Uh, go down dramatically, you know, just with the amount of time that he's on the pitch. Well, I think Morata really hurt it too at the, all those offsides late in the game. You know, I think that if you pick up a couple, he needs to make that adjustment and say, all right, I need to be conservatively on sides so that I can have an opportunity because I do know how good at Fabregas is. You know, I think that for sure we all probably wanted to see the subs so the reactions come quicker. But at least Dan personally, I thought drink water starting was a great tactic, especially when we saw all the pressure that Liverpool brought. But then I thought at the end, this is what we saw against Watford as well, is when Conte's down, he throws the kitchen sink at it to get the three points. You know, And I thought that bringing on Fabregas, Pedro, and William really showed at least the the right intent. I think that at least we as fans want to see, right? Like we don't want to see him bring on maybe a midfielder and, a, and an outside mid or something. I mean, he just pushed everyone into the attack, which at least I appreciated. But what about you? So you, you want to see uh, Rudiger come on for Gary Cahill no. on the 75th minute? No. <laughs> <laughs> no I, again, maybe I, at the I, first I minute. No, at, I'm just kidding. I won't get into that. Wow. <laughs> Ouch. Ooh, oh, we'll have to cut that one for uh, for anchor and drop it in the <laughs> middle of the week. Um, yeah. So when I think about the substitutions, I mean, a little bit. I think is is part playing chicken, right? You know, you're waiting to see what the other move is going to make, and you know, Wijnaldum comes on for. Daniel Sturridge in the the 66 minute for for Liverpool and you know that Liverpool still have you know a couple of you know kind of quirks that they can pop essentially in Mane and in uh, Firmino if they want to go for it a little bit and so you know, I imagine he maybe would have wanted to make some substitutions a little sooner if Klopp had maybe done more but you're also kind of maybe hesitant based upon the fact that you know you know you have the potential in, in Hazard who is you know kind of just outplaying the game at some points and, and just couldn't find the, the final ball or couldn't get the, the appropriate service upward to make the make the moment turn into a goal. 
uh, yeah, I mean, I ultimately think the, the substitutions are right. I think you just, uh, you know, you look at maybe what Man City can do when they have a substitution and bring on, you know, uh, stop out a Sané or a Sterling for one another and, uh, you know, to, to go from a, like a Hazard or, you know, kind of you know, to a Pedro or even a William is, is, you know, not as, unfortunately, as level of a swap as maybe we would like. And that's probably where some of the, the long-term problems kind of exist in that moment. But from the short-term perspective, the, the, the subs are right. They, they came on, they made an impact, and you got a draw when you potentially should have had a loss. So that's, that's a good place to be in. Liam, when I saw Wijnaldum come on and I was like, all right, that's a defensive substitution awesome i hope liverpool try to sit back and defend this one nothing lead because they can't and they didn't so to me seeing klopp respond in that way of dropping in a bit more i thought that that i mean it gave fabregas more time on the ball we were able to pin them back in their final third we had some more chances um you know you're talking about playing cat and mouse with you know wait to see what klopp does and we'll respond um once I saw when all of them come on, I said, all right, let's go throw, throw all the attackers on. Let's go at them. And it sounds like that's the way it was is a bit of a flurry at the end. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Klopp's intention with the Wijnaldum sub was probably just to give Liverpool a little bit more energy in midfield. But the, it's a funny thing with games like this. You see it happen time and again, and I'm not sure it's anything necessarily even to do with the coaches. It's, it's the, the psychology of the players. Being one goal up in a game like that in the last 10 minutes, you find yourself just dropping back and dropping back. We saw Chelsea do it against Manchester United when... They'd battered United for well over an hour on the front foot, played the entire game on the front foot, putting United under pressure. And then purely because of their knowledge of the clock, that there was five, ten minutes left, they started dropping deep. And because they dropped deep, Fellaini had more success and United actually looked dangerous. I, I felt there was a, a similar element at Anfield where Liverpool maybe just psychologically, their players mindsets turn to let's protect what we have and as soon as that mindset changes especially if you're a naturally pressing team like Liverpool you take yourself out of what you do well and and that allowed that as much as anything allowed Fabregas a little bit more time on the ball um, and gave Chelsea the encouragement they needed to to really turn the screw in the last in the last 10 to 15 minutes like I said I I felt in the end Chelsea were well worth the draw because the, the game kind of ebbed and flowed um, both teams had chances, and and both teams looked looked vulnerable at points. I just thought it was a, it was a really good, evenly matched game. All right. Well, I think you know uh, it was pretty evenly matched. Um, but let's maybe go ahead and talk about a couple of players, a couple of positions in in specific, uh, based on what we saw today. Uh, Nick, obviously, Bakayoko took a lot of heat yesterday from you from a lot of people uh especially for essentially his poor play at the top of the box that led up to the goal um so i guess a lot of people a lot of knee-jerk reactions in my in in my kind of perception uh t-ball hq10 says should drink water play instead of bakioko going forward uh at the gaspo saying keep or drop bakioko and then at n nathan allen 20 saying should we use louise in midfield instead of bakioko to me I think we've seen enough and know the potential of Bakioko that if we are to pull him and bench him after today, that that will do way more harm than good in the long run. But I mean, what do you think 
from obviously today's display. I thought he was pretty bad yesterday, and I'm not going to walk away from that. I think that, you know, when you look at the performances of Drinkwater and Conte, uh, Sesk and his uh, substitute appearance, respectively, I think they were all three better than him. Uh, I think that uh, overall he was sloppy with the ball again. I think he was really, really struggling to place passes. Um, some some were pretty simple passes, too. Um and, you know, you look at his numbers, 10 duels, 40% of his duels won. I mean, he's a tank, too. Like, he should be winning more than 40% of his duels. Um, 33 total passes and an 81% pass accuracy. Uh, for a midfielder of his talent, those numbers do not reflect his ability um, flat out. Uh, so, you know, I thought he was really bad. I thought he should have been substituted uh, well before he was. Um, and, and I think that... He looks like he needs to be rotated um, pretty badly, uh, not not just because he had a bad game, not just because um, of of anything like that. But I think, you know, the team, when you looked at those nine matches in December, Dan, the team is going to be up and down, traveling a lot, you know, three matches in eight days kind of uh, kind of rotation. And he just doesn't look like he's, you know, uh, N'Golo Conte levels of fitness right now. Yeah, and, and I think you even realize that N'Golo Conte is, you know, fresh off a, a hamstring injury as well. You know, Danny Drinkwater is working to get up to the appropriate level of fitness. Uh, Fabregas, you know, I think in comparison has been uh, a bit of a midfield warrior in the duration of time that he's played so far this season and the, the quality of performances that he's put in, uh, especially the, the past few, uh, and kind of being a decisive player in that piece, they're, they're going to have to look deep into rotation and maybe even uh, our young uh, Welsh uh, shin breaker uh, and Pazu <laughs> might need to get a few minutes here just to, to keep some, uh, some fresh legs as we look to, especially if we're, looking to field three players in the midfield every match. If that is ultimately the goal, uh, we, we don't have enough, I think, 100% healthy starting midfielders to to make that work without rotation. I mean, I think, Liam, rotation makes sense in general. Uh, I just, I guess, I have my opinion. Um, but what do you think? Is this like an, a, a droppable offense? Was it that bad? Well, Bakayoko was awful um, against Liverpool with the ball, without the ball. With, uh, without the ball, he looked to me to have the same kind of level of mobility as he did against Tottenham, uh, which is very worrying because that was a moment when he was called up essentially as an emergency. He'd had no pre-season. He was probably about 40% fit. Um, and, he, and he'd been called up purely because Conte had no one else to, to even do you know, a passable impression of, of his, of his attributes. Um, he look, he looks to me like a player who, who is carrying an injury and there have been reports that he's playing with, with lingering knee pain. Um, he arrived at Chelsea with that knee injury that blighted the end of his season with Monaco. So I'm, I'm wary of being too critical of him because I think there's, then there might be a context to this that we're not quite aware of. And I'll certainly look to, to press Conte at that in the in the in the coming press conferences because it's is something that I think could be very relevant. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, he were, there's no hiding from it. He was terrible against Liverpool and Chelsea were carrying him virtually for the entire game. But the fact that 
Conte didn't take him off says to me that he believes he doesn't have another man, uh, another central midfielder that can do what Bakayoko can do on the bench. Um, I think it's a little bit too early to know really what Ampadu will be at all. I mean, he's he's 17, he's promising physically, technically, but in terms of what type of player he'll be and where he'll fit into a system, I think it's, it's quite early to draw solid conclusions about a 17-year-old. And uh, and certainly, you know, when you're talking about a game like Liverpool at Anfield. So there may be an argument for rotation, but the, the biggest question I think Conte has with Bakayoko now is what is his physical condition? Because he's either fit to play or he isn't. And if he isn't, then it's probably not a good idea for Chelsea long-term to force him to play every three days. Uh, I know he didn't play against... Carabag, but they, you know, they'll continue to have games every three days for the next few weeks. So they need to make a, a decision with his physical state in mind first. Well, I think thankfully, drink water. You know, playing seventy plus minutes for the first time is a good sign. We are going to be able to rotate him, and I think that we've seen today that Conte, Drinkwater, and Fabregas can, you know, be an effective midfield trio. So. While I don't want Bakioka to be dropped completely and kind of move down to third, fourth, uh, you know, in the depth chart, there is no denying his lack of quality today. But again, I think he's got a huge potential. And hopefully with all these games, we can find time for him to rotate in. Um, but I just want to touch on real quick before we kind of wrap this the review up is the Moses versus Zappacosta and, and kind of wing play in general. I know Alonzo was up against one of the fastest players in the league. So Aldemaro on Facebook calling him Alonso. Okay. Oh boy. Uh, oh little, boy. little rough though. You know, I put out there on Twitter, Alonzo's <laughs> played almost every single minute in every single competition. So he's admitted, I believe, Liam, correct me if I'm wrong, to actually being a bit fatigued out there. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether he's, I'm not, I'm not sure whether he's admitted it, but he's certainly entitled to feel that way because him and him and Azpilicueta, who I think is a, is a cyborg, um, are, <laughs> are totally, they're, they're, of all the players in the squad, they are the most entitled to feel really tired at this point because they never ever get rotated. Con- yeah, Conte doesn't doesn't have anyone to bring in for Alonso, given that he doesn't trust Kennedy and, and Chelsea don't trust Kennedy's social media. So he he's clearly not a valid option. Um, and you know, as Pilaqueta is just crucial. So Alonso is a is a difficult one, and. Um, you know, it, it was it was good. I think from a Chelsea perspective to see him get some rest against Carabag, uh, and Conte will have to continue to try and pick and choose his moments. He's he's always been limited in terms of in terms of speed, but he's got plenty of other qualities that make up for it, and his stamina is excellent as well. Uh, but he's he's certainly being pushed to the limits right now, and and it's a risk for Chelsea to to have to keep leaning on him so much every three days, week after week. No, definitely. Um, now, as we look to Moses versus Zappacosta, obviously we saw, well, I don't know if you guys saw it on social media. Afterwards, Moses was doing fitness at Anfield while the team were cooling down everything. So while he is available for selection, maybe they're still trying to polish off his fitness. You know, Nick, I know that Zappacosta, you feel like hasn't led, hasn't really <laughs> lived up to the nickname that you gave him. Uh, and obviously his, uh, you know, his rep, his rep, Mutation from Italy being a good crosser. 
I actually thought he put in some really tasty crosses today, and I thought this was probably the best performance we've seen out of him. Maybe he actually kind of raised his game based on the opponent they had. And honestly, I know he's going against... Um, uh, Alberto Moreno is their left back, but he dribbled him almost every single time it felt like. I thought this was a really positive sign for Zappacosta today. I think he played pretty well overall. You know, I, I think your your comment about crossing is interesting though, because I you know, I you know, there were a couple of crosses that I remember, especially the first time ball that he kinda kinda played across the box that you know, if we had anybody there, it would have been a tapping, mm-hmm. um, kind of that that sort of ball. But uh, overall, from from out wide positions, I think he uh, he did struggle to even beat the first man on occasion. Um, so I, I'm not, so I don't really share your praise in the in the crossing department. I do feel like from a, a pure speed perspective, he was able to keep up with Liverpool's attack pretty well, um, and and I think that was a a good point for him to to prove because. Um, there have been times where I think he's tried to get forward a little too much and, and left some gaps in the back, which uh, obviously hurt um, Cesar Espilicueta a little bit more. Um, but today he he I think had a really good bond with with Dave uh, on that side and made sure that there wasn't a ton of threat, even though Sturridge was kind of bouncing all over the place and and Sala was kind of switching sides and all that kind of stuff. So. Overall, I think he, he played pretty well. I do think Moses comes back for Swansea, and now it's up to them to kind of battle it out and, and see who's going to consistently play. Dan, do you share either one of our opinions on Zappacosta, or do you plead the fifth? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's something so terrible that you have to plead the, the fifth on it. I, I think that he did a, did a nice job with some of his take-ons today. I, I think there were actually moments where he was left uh, available for crossing from the other side from Alonzo or distribution to him uh, in or near the box. And uh, he was left a little bit in no man's land and had the, you know, almost probably felt like Eden Hazard for a little bit in that moment with the, uh, the lack of, uh, of service or distribution. But uh, I, I do think Moses will, will pop back in pretty quickly here. I, I think there's, a lot more that you know from an attacking standpoint that I feel like he offers versus uh, Zappacosta that uh, we'll see him come in very very soon. All right. Well, I just want to end this one uh, throwing it to you, Liam, talking about the uh, Antonio Conte's comments on what he sees as Chelsea's unbalanced fixture list. Obviously, talking about we've had a couple of big travel dates turning around and playing you know huge opponents, and I think that's just a bit of a luck of the unlucky part of the schedule, having to play Man City uh, after Atletico, which ended up being such a, a draining match, and then this you know a five thousand plus mile round trip to Carabag, and then you know seventy not or what forty eight hours or so later playing Liverpool on the road. Um, I did go through and look and see that uh, obviously Man City uh, after playing away in Italy or after playing away had to come back and obviously play Chelsea Uh, United have not had a difficult game coming off a a, a league Liverpool have had to play Tottenham and I didn't get to Tottenham so it seems like at least three out of the four people right are or have had a big match to, to deal with yeah, it's it's um, it, it really is luck of the draw, and and Conte I think has been frustrated with what he sees as a lack of joined up thinking uh, between the competitions and and the Premier League, you know, not doing enough to help the top English clubs. But the the, the difficulty is, and I, I wrote a piece for ESPN on this earlier this week, is that the, you know the Premier League fixtures are published in June. Um, 
the broadcasters have to make their picks for television at least for the first couple of months of the season by about mid-July and then the Champions League group stage draw isn't until it wasn't until August 24th this year so Chelsea you know with regards to the game against Liverpool Chelsea going to Azerbaijan and back um, couldn't have been a consideration for for BT Sport in the UK when they picked to show the Liverpool game at 5.30 on a Saturday because they didn't know that Chelsea would be playing Carabag or even that Carabag would be in the Champions League. Um, and the other element to this is it's kind of a new problem because you, you now have teams from Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan suddenly qualifying for the group stage of <laughs> European competition, which didn't happen before, I think, the first time Carabag reached the Europa League was 2014. So it always takes a bit of time for... If there is going to be some sort of accommodation to be made, it always takes a little bit of time for the trend to develop and then for a governing body like a UEFA or a Premier League to actually work up the appetite to to react to it. And we might see in the future teams get given a bit more a bit more time to rest. Um, but Chelsea have just drawn the short straw this season. They they the the Atletico to Man City turnaround was complete luck and, and you catch you know one of the most difficult teams to play in Europe in Atletico even when they're struggling away from home and then probably along with PSG the best team in Europe on form in Manchester City in the space of three days so there's not a lot you can do about it you just have to make the best of it and, and Chelsea's small squad uh, hasn't made things any easier in the, in the early season injuries. So I can understand Conte's frustrations. He's always going to feel that way as a coach. His, his job is just to for his team to be in the best position to win every every game. Uh, but there's there's not really a lot that can be done about it at the moment. No, absolutely. And I guess I just wanted to make sure that everyone knows that I brought that up specifically in regards to the article you wrote, Liam. Um, and I believe everyone can find that on ESPNFC.com. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So uh, shout out, go follow Liam. Is the best way to see all your <laughs> articles on Twitter? Uh, yes, yes. Um, probably my account because, um, or either my account, or if you just go onto the Chelsea page of the ESPN FC website, uh, they've got very handy team-specific pages where all the content gets pulled. So you'll have um, the Chelsea bloggers and and, and various high-profile freelancers and and my little old me uh, plugging away on, on news and the odd feature. Odd feature. So that everything's in one place, which is good. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, on the descent for this one, Nick. We got a really funny question, unsurprisingly, from our boy at SP Beal. Yep. Uh, SP Beal, my boy, said if Essien's nickname was the Bison, what should N'Golo Conte's nickname be? Danathan, would you like to try this? You know, I'm going to suggest uh, that we crowdsource this answer because I, I don't feel like I have anything that would really capture <laughs> just how good. You can't play the fifth on this. Come on. No, I, I, I saved my one from earlier in the episode. <laughs> well, um, for me, I think that, you know, I, a couple things come to mind, like the spider monkey, right? Like the loud everywhere, harassing people. Like at the zoo, they're always like stealing people's food and stuff when they're not looking. Um, or obviously the honey badger for a cornerback Ooh. position, you know, I feel like yep. that's a shutdown 
defensive position. I mean, that's just what he does. So those are the first two things that kind of came to my mind, Nick, as we stall for Dan. That's right. Yeah, let's keep stalling for Dan here. Um, <laughs> I, I went with Spider-Man because I feel like like the way that he will come around, like come from behind and grab the ball off of uh, an attacking player, kind of he has a little bit of the web power going on, just like a little snatch here, a little snatch there. Um, just, you know, kind of flies with, with ease around the pitch, covers a lot of ground. Uh, I would be, um, I would, I would go with Spider-Man. Liam, do you have any thoughts on a, a potential <laughs> nickname? Well, if we're, if we're sticking in the animal world, um, with, with bison, the, the only one that really comes to mind with me, but it's not, it's, it's not a catchy nickname in the slightest is, uh, is like, you know, those African hunting dogs that, that chase their prey until they're oh, too yeah. exhausted to run anymore. <laughs> oh, that's I, good. I, I think that feels like, I think that feels like Kante's MO. Um, just, just runs them around the pitch ragged. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just chases them for miles until they can't move. Uh, all right, Dan. I mean, you're up, man. Dan. Round two. Here we go, Dan. Uh, so uh, I think if I if I were to take the other stance, which was Nick going with the comic book theme, uh, I think that you could go with Galactus, who if you don't know who Galactus is, uh, he basically is the uh, goes around and eats planets and consumes <laughs> planets <laughs> um, because he is just a devourer of worlds, which I think, you know, in my mind sums up what N'Golo Kante does on the pitch. He's so nice. innocent and unsuspecting, but really he's just a tyrant. He has a dark secret. <laughs> he eats worlds. Um, any other additional thoughts or comments you guys want to throw in on this one, Nick? Anything that stood out to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll get into this in the man of the match, but um, Dave Dave was just absolutely tremendous yesterday, uh, even when he got uh, hurt uh, blocking one of, uh, I believe, Sturridge's shots. Uh, you know, it looked like he might have extended his knee a little bit. Um, before he went off the pitch, he was barking orders at people to to get their set piece um, defense ready. Uh, you know, that I think everybody in that moment on Twitter was was just waxing poetic about about what a leader he is. And uh, he had Danny. He might have had his best match of the year yesterday. One of them. He is uh, truly a a stalwart. It, you know, we did a thread on Twitter this uh, this Black Friday talking about Chelsea's Black Friday deals. You know, bargain players that we've got who've who've yep. become immense for the club. And Aspilicueta at seven pounds continues to be probably one of the one of the best investments that Chelsea have ever made. Seven million, just to clarify. <laughs> um, but yeah, still hell of a deal. <laughs> I mean, Hazard, too, yesterday, Liam, absolutely tremendous, was uh, looking a little bit, like you said, messy-like um, in the way he was uh, taking runs upfield and creating space. Yeah, I mean, Hazard was, was sensational in the first half. I, I felt like he was he was a victim of Chelsea's system in the, in the second and that they couldn't quite get the ball to him enough. Um, but he was just absolutely dominant. In, in that first half, not only not only beating um, defenders all over the pitch and, and going where he wanted, but also directing Chelsea's entire attack, telling people where to be, what runs to make. And, uh, you know, that's not something we've always seen from Hazard, but I, I feel like as he's grown older and more experienced, I think he's uh, I think he's become an even smarter player and he's he's found more ways to influence big matches um and so yeah that's that's something he's always an absolute pleasure to watch but i think uh i think he's getting better with age which is a, a frightening thought well now that we've 
essentially covered all of our man of the match options. I would like to just put a <laughs> shout out to Christensen and the fact that this is the standard. This is his new status quo. He is completely, uh, you know, sorted himself out and is playing with Chelsea and he deserves to be where he is. Standout moment yesterday, one-on-one with Salah. He was patient, waited until he made the mistake and then he pounced and the amount of like discipline and composure he had blows my mind every week. But you know what? I just decided I'm going to expect that and not be surprised because that's all he's done since he's came in this season. So with all of this praise being heaped on everyone, Dan, who did win our man of the match poll and who I guess was our fourth option who we didn't talk about right then. <laughs> yeah. So William won with, uh, or sorry, uh, William was our fourth choice option. Uh, it was William Crosta with uh, 12%. Mm. Um, Christensen did get 9% Bren. So uh, did get a shout there. Hazard with 28% and then Aspilicueta vice captain 51%. Well, I, uh, I like all the votes. They're starting to go up. We had over 400 votes that time. I think we can get to 500 this next time. Maybe not because it's Swansea midweek. But as it stands, uh, Man City running away with it, 37 points, won again today. United at 29 points in second. Chelsea, 26. So still clinging on there. And then an absolute traffic jam. 25 points, Arsenal in fourth. 24 points, for Spurs in fifth. 23 points, for Liverpool in six. Dan, where's Burnley at? Oh, I, I, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about how uh, Arsenal and fourth are reunited and it feels, feels so, so good. good. Yeah, that was good. It was terrible, but it was good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, Liam, it is going to be a tight race, it looks like. For sure, third through six, maybe second through six. But... I mean, we probably saw this coming after last season, didn't we? From a Chelsea perspective or broad, the, more broadly top no, six? No, the, the table perspective, like overall yeah. Premier League. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, the the top six is is stronger collectively than it's ever been before. And it's it's great for the league because it means there are real stakes for the four Champions League spots because two very big clubs always miss out and then it and although obviously this season with United winning the Europa League last year there's there's the unusual situation of five but it also means that then two clubs go into the next season without the distraction of Champions League football so it's a constant shifting dynamic uh, in terms of who's best set up to to attack the league um, Liam, Liam, just a quick clarification it's five big teams and Spurs <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, Spurs have been getting some uh, pretty pretty dodgy results in the last few weeks. I think they they need to have a little bit of self reflection time because their Kane is a, a little bit banged up right now, and they're and they're way too reliant on him. I don't think Deli Ali has has held himself to the same standards that he performed that last season, and Christian Eriksen has has dipped since that miraculous performance for Denmark in the international break. So. They're struggling a little bit, and and the top six situation is if you have a bad few weeks, you you know you have some serious ground to make up. I I don't think United have done enough either to really separate themselves from the the four teams below them yet. I know they've got a three point buffer, but I don't see week to week them looking um, them looking decidedly better than particularly Chelsea or or Liverpool when they're at their best. So I, I think there'll be a few more twists and turns yet. 
All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, move into social media questions as always. Um, you know, but before we hit that, Dan, we're going to London in a few days. It is so exciting at this point. We did send an email to everyone. So if you're going and you didn't get it, reach out to us, make sure you know. Um, but we kind of put out a, a things to know before you go to London article that is good for not just our people going, but everyone who's going, as we've been hearing, there are so many fans going for this particular week. We're definitely excited as the months turn to weeks and weeks turn to days. And in a couple of uh, moments here, we'll be reviewing our, our passports to make sure that we've got them packed appropriately and want to make sure that everyone is best situated as they possibly can be. So at LondonIsBluePod.com, uh, there are some articles right now where it focuses on what it means to uh, take a trip over to Europe with some recommendations um, and uh, all the things that you need to know in terms of uh, getting a SIM card for your phone, where where we're staying and, and what's around in that area. And uh, you know, maybe we could convince uh, Liam to give us a few restaurant recommendations, too, of, of his favorite spots. <laughs> but uh, you know, ultimately, we're, we're very excited. And there's going to be a, a pretty big uh, evening after the Newcastle game, Nick, where we uh, bring all the band together. That is correct. Uh, very exciting. Uh, now that we've had this uh, lockdown uh, for a couple of days, but uh, after the Newcastle match, we're going to go out for uh, for Mark Worrell's book launch at the Atlas Pub, where we had our previous big party. Um, so that should be a great time. It's about terrace culture and and songs and chants, and uh, very excited for that book. And then uh, we will make our transition over to the Chelsea Pensioner at around five p.m. Uh, to do our live podcast with the with the Chelsea Fancast. Uh, band and and really just make that a, a complete delight it's going to be awesome uh liam has been on both shows uh we won't ask him to pick his favorite but it's clearly <laughs> ours um and then uh and then we're going to do our uh, our big party for everyone after the the uh, podcast so if you're into any sort of podcasting exploits books and or drinking dan this is probably the night for you yeah, we, we had quite the, the blast last time, and uh, you are guaranteed a great evening with wonderful people if you make it out, and we hope that you do. All right, well, let's go ahead and dive into a few of our social questions. Thank you again, as always, for submitting them, but I tell you what, right off the bat, Derek, friend from London, asking if Dan's birthday is past, is it time to ask if he's past his prime? Should Brandon, myself, start limiting Dan's participation with the <laughs> London is Blue to one-year contracts? <laughs> This is something Oof. that I didn't want to have to cross in front of our audience, Dan, but here, we, here it is. <laughs> the sausage is being made right now. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to, to go into to deep negotiation. We'll have to let it run to, up to the end of the season and understand if there will or will not be a tribute or testimonial podcast. And uh, we'll have to determine if I'm getting sent down to the championship or not. It'll be a lot, a lot of... A lot of interesting kind of themes here, probably a la John Terry saga. So uh, stick around for those. All right. Well, with all jokes aside, uh, Bearded Bard hitting us up on Instagram says, do you think it's more important for us to try to get another center forward in the January window or center midfield? Uh, been hearing a lot of talk about signing big strikers. Maybe we should focus on getting another center mid to help with rotation. We have four players for three positions when playing at 3-5-2. Liam, 
obviously I'm sure you've been starting to hear the rumblings uh, for Chelsea in the January transfer window. Uh, but I'd say that if we have Drinkwater, Fabregas, Bakayoko, and Conte, maybe an Ampadu if we want. If you want to really stretch it to David Luiz playing a center mid position of those two spots, what do you think kind of is Chelsea's most significant need? I think uh, I don't. I don't think central midfield is top of the list anymore for the reasons you just said. I think I don't think Conte is going to play three five two every week. I think it still will be three four three against most um, against inferior opposition at least. So the another centre forward uh, definitely is a, is a must because Bashwai is injured and even when he's fit, Conte doesn't really trust him. So it would be. I think it would be good for for Chelsea, especially to get another striker who can act as a, a proper physical focal point. You know, Conte really wanted Fernando Llorente uh, in the summer. So a, a player of that type who can really come in and uh, and hold the ball up and, and bring Chelsea's wide attackers and creators into play. Aside from that, they, you know, they need a left wing back. They, they really need a left uh, wing you stole back. My, to, you stole my answer. Well, they, they really need someone to relieve Alonso every now and then. Um, clearly, Conte's dream target was Alexandro. You, Juventus weren't even willing to sell him in the summer. You, you don't have a hope of getting a player that good in, in January. So, in, in general, I, I would say for Chelsea fans not to get their hopes up too high for the January window, it's very rare that you get um, a real difference-making player in the winter because clubs just aren't open to selling them, and they're usually happy where they are. You know, they're good players for a reason. They're usually valued at the, at the club that's got them. So it's a tricky one, but striker and left wing back, I think, are the, definitely the two boxes to tick. Definitely left wing back. I think Alonso would even welcome that at this point, even though it's kind of counterintuitive to invite competition to your position. Uh, interesting one, Dan, from Jeremy at Fly the Blue Flag on Twitter. He asked this, do we mourn the losses of Salah and De Bruyne and the like, you know, Lukaku, maybe some others, or would they have ever gotten this good if they would have stayed and played maybe second fiddle, you know, having to come in off the bench like they were when they were at Chelsea? I think they probably would not have gotten as good if they were the second choice option at Chelsea. You, know, you look at Salah going to, to Roma and getting to play every week and be counted upon as the first choice. De Bruyne heading over to, to Germany to play there before coming back to the Premier League and, and getting to be the, the first choice option on his team. I mean, there's there's a lot to say. You even look at that's happening with uh, you know Loftus Cheek right now and how he's kind of grown up in even just a, a series of matches for for Crystal Palace scoring a goal uh, the match the other day. Ultimately, there there is a level of time and preparation that needs to take place before a player you know is is ready to go for you know to be called upon as that first choice option. And yeah, I think we can you know be upset or be kind of disheartened that they weren't able to excel at Chelsea. But if you remember the couple of matches that Salah played for, for Chelsea, they weren't, they weren't great matches. And you know, this, you know, it, it's tough to kind of mourn this idea of a player, you know, being here when he ultimately was purchased and then sold pretty quickly in the, in the vein of a quadrado kind of purchase there too. So yeah, it sucks. It's awesome to see him playing well. I think, you know, especially Salah has been kind of the, the wonderful 
you know, acquisition for Liverpool and, and De Bruyne has been great. And yeah, it'd be awesome to have them all on one team, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's not the case. Nick? Uh, this is like, is it better to have loved and lost than never loved at all? Um, you know, I think most people would say loved and lost, right? So um, yeah, I, you know, who knows? Yeah, I think that the De Bruyne's big challenge at Chelsea was um, apparently his work ethic and, you know, what he was willing to do in training um, to compete with uh, the other players around him. Salah just didn't have the impact that we thought he would and, and was gone and, and had a really good couple of seasons in Italy after being released. So, um, you know, I, I think I think Dan was pretty spot on there. All right. Well, we have a question uh, from Crumpopotamus on Twitter saying, someone said they would drop William instead of David Luiz in the podcast after Man United. Have your minds changed? So essentially, Liam, it was saying, who would you drop from, you know, the the, the squad, essentially? Uh, a lot of us said William because, you know, we or David Luiz, we have depth or whatever. Um, but William has really come on strong. Obviously, Carabag, take it is for what it is, maybe a couple soft penalties, but he still took his goals well, scored a a, a very important goal today. Um, do you see his role kind of increasing in the team as this, as after these two performances? Uh, it's a, it's a difficult one. I don't, I don't really know. I think, um, I think Willian will continue to be what he's been, which is, uh, a, a really good attacking midfielder. Who's on the, on the fringe of the starting 11. He's like the 12th or 13th man. Um, which is not a role he's happy with, and I think that's probably played into the the definite dip in form that he had for the for the first few months of this season. I mean, that you look on Twitter and some of the criticism from Chelsea, Chelsea fans on Twitter of Willian is is way over the top. Um, it's incredible. It's incredible the level of vitriol at times. Um, but having said that, he has his performances have merited criticism in in recent months. It's been. I'm sure encouraging for Conte to see him come back and, and be decisive in a couple of games recently. Uh, but I, I don't think the situation is going to change. He's going to play in some games. He's, he's not going to play in others and he's not really going to be happy with that. And the challenge for Conte as a manager is to make sure that when he does come in, um, that he shows the level of commitment that he, he showed against Liverpool and, and from the start against Carabag that he hasn't, he hasn't necessarily shown in terms of effort in, in some other games earlier this season. I guess Dan or Nick, either you guys want to kind of comment on the Williams situation. Yeah. I, mean, I definitely want to echo the fact that he gets undue criticism over the top consistently from Chelsea Twitter. I, I do. Uh, so I would agree with that, Liam. I, I do I think with William more than maybe any other player on the team, apart from Cahill, I guess, <laughs> for whatever reason, um, I think that William's performances are puzzling at, at best. Um, you know, there, there are times where he cannot complete a simple pass or, or, or make a dribble. And then you see yesterday he breezes by two players um, and, and apparently chips uh, in for a goal. So, uh, his his form has fluctuated so much that I think it's really hard to keep a beat on where he's at. Uh, and, and to us, you know, doing a weekly podcast, I think we can only comment on what we see in that particular moment, right? So, like, I, I feel like there's been inconsistency uh, from us just watching, like, oh, man, William, another bad game. You know, he's had four bad games in a row. Uh, I don't 
I don't necessarily feel like that's undue criticism more just kind of looking at, um, you know, kind of his, his form, you know, he's been on a couple of good matches now, you know, had a really uh, good cameo yesterday, but uh, overall this season, I think his form has been below his, uh, his potential. All right. Well, I mean, let us know what you guys think on Twitter. Obviously, social media, Facebook, Instagram, email. Happy to take in those questions. Uh, but that being said, I just want to touch on real quick before we get into the match preview. Um, if you aren't coming to London with us right now, have no fears. There is a second trip coming. But most importantly, the holidays coming around, Nick, we are coming up with a way with XL Tours that someone can gift you the whole trip or part of the trip. And we're going to get that launched soon for everyone out there. So if they want it, I think that they should tweet at us, Facebook, Instagram, or emails, and then I will send them a certificate personalized. What do you think? I think that sounds great. I think that you're really stepping up to the plate there, Brandon. So we all really appreciate that. Um, now, the, the, the gist is if you are interested in... Um, you know, maybe, maybe you've started your wish list, Dan, and, and you're interested in perhaps receiving and or giving uh, part or a whole trip to uh, to watch Chelsea play Tottenham in April. Um, maybe maybe visit our, our website or email us or DM us, huh? Yeah, you know, ultimately, you know, there, there are only a couple teams that you really kind of have to see, you know, Chelsea play to kind of tick off, you know, those kind of classic matchups, whether that be, you know, a game against Arsenal, a game against, you know, either uh, City or United. But then, you know, Tottenham has to be at the top of the list for the matches that you want to see. And to see it at Stamford Bridge is uh, class. So, you know, get in touch with us. Excel Tours is working to get to put together another great package for that. And uh, we're looking forward to going back to the bridge in uh, 2018. Well, unfortunately, uh, Chelsea aren't playing Tottenham next. They're going to be playing Swansea City Premier League. At Stanford Bridge, back at home, get to sleep in their own beds. It'll be this coming Wednesday, November 29th. And uh, Liam, this kind of kicks off the crazy festive period of matches, I would say. Uh, but when you look at the form guy between Chelsea and Swansea, they could not be more opposite with the wins and losses right now. Swan's just not on a good streak at the moment. Yeah, they're, they're really, really struggling. Um you know, they had a good end to the season last year under when Paul Clement came in. He had an instant impact. And I think selling Gilfie Sigurdsson uh, last summer has been catastrophic for them. You know, people were scoffing at the time that Everton had play, paid £45 million for him. And I think it's clear from watching him at Everton that he's not worth £45 million to them because they have other players that play in his position and the team isn't balanced. But at Swansea, where everything was around him, geared for him to thrive he he was the reason that they were a Premier League team really um, so I think 45 million might actually have been a, a conservative valuation of what he was worth to Swansea and, and now without him obviously they've 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 got a little bit of production out of Tammy Abraham and, and Chelsea fans have been following his progress closely. He won't be able to play in this game. But they've they've really, really struggled to, to do anything going forward. And when you don't do that, you're uh, you're putting a huge amount of pressure on your defence. And you know, when you're a team near the bottom of the league, you're you're there for a reason. It's because you're not particularly great at either end of the pitch. So it, it looks like a, a slam dunk three points for Chelsea. Um I think the the biggest the bi- the biggest obstacle they face is probably accumulated fatigue, you know, from from the the games they've had to go through. So, 
a lot will depend on on Conte's rotation and, and his team selection. He has to get the balance right, but they, I think they'll look to try and win that game and win it early uh, with a view to the Newcastle game coming up. And they have a really winnable, Chelsea have a really winnable run of Premier League games coming up. So if they're going to make some ground up on Manchester City, I think it has to be between now and the new year. Yeah, so Nick, as it stands, Chelsea plays Swansea on Wednesday, Newcastle on Saturday, and Atletico Madrid on Tuesday. And, you know, while we've secured advancement through the knockout round of Champions League, if we beat Atletico, we secure top spot in the group, which has its advantages there. So, you know, three games in, you know, seven, eight days yet again. Here we go. Uh, are you expecting quite a bit of rotation from, from Conte? Or like Liam said, maybe start pretty strong, lock it up, make some early subs in the second half? Well, the, the benefit that Chelsea has over the next eight days is all three of those matches are at home. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that there will be some R&R uh, introduced. I'm sure training won't be as intense kind of given the, the stretch of fixtures coming up. And your hope is that you can reintroduce Victor Moses back into the fold uh, in this time period. Yeah, you're hoping that um, you can find a way for, for maybe William to kind of keep this hot streak going and, and get him into the match a little bit or, or Pedro uh, maybe get back a Yoko some rest with, with drink water um, or, or even David Luiz possibly coming in. You know, I think there, there are a bunch of different scenarios here, Dan, that you could look at and maybe um, maybe see, you know, Rudiger get some time or, or uh, Ampadu get some time over the next few matches. Yeah, it won't be copy and paste lineups. Thankfully, there'll be an opportunity to to rotate a bit. But uh, you know, I think Liam makes a really great point about these are all winnable fixtures for Chelsea. And at that point, you know, if we're going to make any ground up when there's a compact fixture list through the end of the seat, you know, the end of this part of the season, the kind of first half, you know, this is the uh, the time to try to uh, to capitalize on it. And uh, hopefully uh, City could do us a favor and uh, and slip up a little bit because that's also, uh, you know, the best work that we could do is only going to be supported by uh, City struggling a little bit with the uh, the fixtures as well. We'll see. City play Southampton, United play Watford. Uh, we play Swansea, Arsenal play Huddersfield and Tottenham's Leicester. Liverpool, Stoke. So all winnable games for the top six, as we've seen. Um, I think United-Watford actually could be a bit of a tasty match midweek. But, you know, I think this should be pretty straightforward for Chelsea. I hope nothing crazy happens uh, midweek before we get there. Uh, we'll get there Friday, Liam, in case you uh, want to have the black car ready. Uh, we'll be at Heathrow <laughs> and uh, would love uh, nothing more than to uh, see you. So we will. We will see you in London. But again, I just want to wrap this up with our final thoughts and saying everyone go follow Liam. Check him out. Instagram, you know, Facebook, Twitter, all of the good stuff. Shares articles if you like it. Uh, but again, Liam, just thanks for coming back on. Genuinely love having a chat with you. Uh, and we appreciate your perspective. No, no problem, guys. Always a pleasure to talk Chelsea with you, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in London. Good, because that's the only thing we know how to talk about, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's all we got. (laughs) Any final thoughts from you, man? From me? Yeah. Any final thoughts from you? (laughs) Um, 
final thoughts from me are uh yes we are excited to go uh we will be back on on wednesday uh right before we leave for london to do a a, probably a a quicker pod a shorter version so uh stay tuned for that and for our trip goers um who are connected with us uh you know please let us know if you have any questions this week you know we'd love to get those handled with xl tours uh before everyone sets off and then you know i think that they will have uh, our transport ready when we get to the airport so very excited dan what about you man uh, yeah, if you uh, saw the Rainbow Armbands uh, this weekend across the uh, Premier League, uh, the Rainbow Laces campaign going again. So uh, all credit to uh, the club supporting it and the Premier League for working with uh, Stonewall UK to uh, push inclusion within the sport. Always a, a good thing to kind of strive for and uh, you know requires all of us being a part of it. So nice stuff to see. All right. Well, that's all we've got. Like I said, we're going to be back Wednesday, even though we're flying out on Thursday to go to London. We're not stopping. We're not quitting. We're here. No rotation. We're here. None at all. We're here to put in the work. We're excited. Thank you for listening. As always, Chelsea fans, Uh, man, quick week back at the normal kickoff. So don't worry about the Carabag early kickoff time. So make sure to get your meeting scheduled. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. If you don't want the conversation to stop, make sure to follow the London is Blue podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to support the pod, you can leave a five-star review in iTunes or donate on Patreon.com. The London is Blue podcast, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com.